Okay, good morning. How are we doing? Are we okay? Well, it's so, I was going to say, it's so good to be here. I'm always here. I feel like I live here. But it's so good to be here in this capacity, preaching and sharing the word of God with you this morning. Uh, as Abby said, my name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's, part of the leadership team. I have the privilege of leading Six O'Clock Church Evening Venue with my wife. And uh, yeah, really excited to continue our uh, series, looking through the book of Matthew. Uh, so if you're uh, kind of not familiar with the Bible in the New Testament, we've got four what we call Gospels or Good News books, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they basically detail the life and the works of Jesus, what he did. But it also a lot of the teaching, the things that he said and the encouragements uh, for us. So if you do have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, today we're going to be looking at what Jesus said about money and giving and all of those kind of things. And I don't know if, if, if many of you like taking notes, but if you have, I've got a title this morning, which is Money Exposing the Roots. And I've titled it that because I think what Jesus does in this passage, he doesn't just outline a whole load of do's and don'ts of this is what we should do and this is what we shouldn't do. Actually, what Jesus does, he gets to the heart issue of money and he, and he unpicks some of the roots of what I want to call orphan thinking. And that's what we're going to look at today is actually our position in Christ means it really has an effect on how we view our money and what we do with our wallets. And it comes down to identity. So I think what Jesus is going to do in this passage that we're going to look at today is not just highlighting what kingdom giving looks like, but it also highlights for us some of the roots of orphan thinking that can prevent us from living out kingdom behavior the way that God has freed us to do. And I feel it's a bit of a significant message because you may or may not be aware, Jesus spoke more on money than he did about most other things. He spoke a lot about money. Money and the desire for more. And he knew actually that ultimately it was a subject that if we're honest, we'd rather not talk about. It's a subject actually we would quite happily say, we won't, we won't do that, we won't tackle that in a series, but Jesus has put it there, God has put it there for a purpose, because it really does something in our hearts. So that's what we're going to look at. So Matthew chapter 6, if you haven't got a Bible, it will come up behind me and you can read it with us. It says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no rewards from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sounds no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then if we just skip down to verse 19, just cover 19 to 34, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God, we, we ask today, I ask today that you would give us a fresh revelation of who we are in you and who you are. I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you that even just in this first hour, we've just heard so much about your goodness and what you've done. And Lord, as we kind of come to this whole area of giving and possessions, I pray would you raise our eyes to see you in all your glory. And I pray would you help us to see uh, who we are now hidden in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a very interesting passage. In fact, I find it's a very challenging passage. He says things like this. It's impossible to love God and money or to serve God and money. He doesn't leave any wriggle room at all, does he? He just says it's it's not possible. He says things like this. Don't lay up and value the treasures, the things that we have on earth. Okay? These are things that we can sometimes think, oh. He says, when you give to the needy. It's interesting, isn't it? Not if, but when. There's an assumption that's something that we will do. It says, don't seek the praise and recognition of other people. Don't be anxious about your provision. There's a lot of things in there that actually tug at something in our hearts. You think, oh, crumbs, that's quite difficult. So many challenges, and yet I feel throughout this passage, Jesus gives us again and again and again the remedy to these problems. And I think it's rooted in the understanding of who we are and who God is. Ultimately, I think it's an identity thing. Because you see, Jesus, when, he, when Jesus came, he didn't just come to restore us, to bring us as orphans back into the family of God. That was one thing. That was the chief aim of what he did. He came to bring us as orphans back into the family of God. But he also came to demonstrate what sonship looks like. He actually came to demonstrate for us what it would be like, as we're now sons and daughters, what it, what it looks like to live under an umbrella of a father which is what we didn't have before. How we as children are able now to relate to God, how we're able to have his inheritance and promises and able to walk in that as children of God. No longer orphans, but now dependent on a father. Jack Frost said this. He says, everything we see in Christ, we are heirs to as Christians. The goal of our Christian life is to become like Jesus. And we say that a lot, don't we? We want to become more and more like him. 
But this is interesting. He says, we don't become like Jesus by focusing our lives just on Jesus. We become like Jesus by focusing our lives on what Jesus focused his life on. That's interesting, isn't it? And Jesus focused his life on being a son and revealing the Father and his love so that a world of spiritual orphans could become sons and daughters. And what I want to do this morning for the small time that we've got, I want to identify some key themes that Jesus talks us through, but I want to identify some of the orphan-like thinking that Jesus is actually trying to get to the heart of. I don't think Jesus is actually just talking about who you give your money to or how much you give it to. He's actually trying to underline a few kind of things of our orphan-like thinking, that before we knew God, before we had him as our father, there were certain patterns of behavior that we can fall into, and we still can. And those are the things that Jesus is is trying to deal with, how our adoption in Christ helps us now break free from some of these roots. Okay, are you with me? So here's the first one. The first theme, if you like, is he talks about rewards. So it says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no rewards from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Do you get the general theme here? Is the, the purpose, the idea in giving is so that I can try and receive praise and I can receive recognition from everyone else. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. He says, they have received their rewards, which is the praise of men. But he says, when you give to needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret because your father who sees in secret will reward you. Lay up for yourselves treasures not on earth but in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal. So we have two rewards. We have two groups of people here that Jesus identifies. He has one which is the one who does so in public for the attention of other people and then we have another one who does it in secret for the attention of God alone. One who seeks recognition and approval from their giving one who hides their generosity from others to almost prevent the praise that other people would give. One who focuses on the views and the thoughts of others. One who focuses on God's will and being obedient to him. One who seeks out a reward of praise and honour from people and one who preserves for for themselves a reward in heaven from God. And one is very much driven from an orphan mentality. And the other one is driven by an adopted identity. So the orphan is preoccupied with the views and the opinions of others. And I'm just aware that as I start talking about some of this stuff, this this isn't just a before I was a Christian and now I am a Christian. These are things I used to deal with and now these are things I don't need. These are things that can seep into our lives all the time. These are, these are some of those things, our default position when we're in the flesh and we've got to fight these things and tackle them. One of them is this, that we, we sometimes are so preoccupied with what other people think about ourselves. Our view, their views, their opinions. Well, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? Are they going to see what I'm doing here? And am I going to get the credit for it? What's it going to do to my kudos, if you like? They don't have a secure identity in Christ, so they search out to form a superficial identity based on what others say and think about them. That's the orphan mentality. And I'm not talking about encouragement. 
All right? We, we want to be good as a church of encouragement. Okay? I'm not talking about edifying one another up for the building up of Christ. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the, the sole purpose of the person who's an orphan is that I, I give and I do those things not to glorify God, not to bless others, but actually to receive praise myself. That's what Jesus is saying the hypocrites do. They give when it will result in recognition and kudos. And this word hypocrites in the original, back in Jesus' day, when they would have gone to uh, like the, the shows, like the theatre, the hypocrites would have been those people with masks on. You know, the actors, and they'd have had masks. And he says, don't be like that, but in your hearts, you know that there's somewhat, you're a different person, but in front of everyone else, you put on a mask. This is who I am. In order to get recognition from other people, he says, you don't do that. So that all comes from an orphan, uh, orphan-based thinking. Whereas those who have been adopted into a family think completely differently. So what does he say about that? He says, well, they've already been given a clear identity. There's no longer, you don't not longer need to seek the attention of other people or the affirmation of what they might say because those that are adopted place their value in what the father says about them. So those that give in secret, they're more, they're more preoccupied with what God sees and what God thinks and believes about them. Being obedient to the Father and pleasing the Father is the sole driving factor for his kids, for his children. They give for an audience of one. And as we become more like our dads, as we become more like God, we get his heart, don't we? We get his heart of compassion, and we want to give, and we want to bless for, the, for their blessing and for God's glory. But you see, it's completely different to an orphan style thinking of, I'm, I'm going to do this, but I want to do it because it will make me feel good. When that's not what happens when we're adopted by him. And the other thing that I noticed is that giving is no longer an offence when we don't receive praise or recognition from other people. Have you noticed that? Sometimes you, you kind of, oh, actually, it's not offensive when I give and no one knows about it because it doesn't matter because I know God sees. And that's the thing that's most important. And for some of you, you might think, oh, that hurts. When I don't receive the recognition and praise of other people, and it might not just be giving, it might be in what you do. It might be in the way that you serve. It might be in the way that you've made lots of sacrifices, and you might think, oh, no one's ever said anything about that. Do you know, when you're rooted in adoption, you say, do you know, God sees everything I've done, and I've got a reward in him. So there's two different ways of looking at it. God looks at the heart and he the, sees the secret place and the promises and eternal reward that is so much better than the fleeting praise of man. Wow, did you see how much he gave? God's looking at the heart. Which leads us on to the second theme of what Jesus talks about, which is the heart. He says this in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then just down on verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what's Jesus saying here? Is he saying that it's wrong to be rich? Is he saying that it's, it's sinful to have a mortgage or to own a house outright? Or to have savings? No, I don't think he is. Well, this is what he's saying. John Piper puts it this way, and I think it's, it's really helpful. He says, to serve money means to calculate all of your behaviours, 
all of your life to maximize what money can give you, always asking what benefits can come to you from money. All right? That's how he defines that. So let's put that definition with Christ. Calculating this, right? So it says this. Serving God would mean doing everything you do, calculating all your behavior to maximize the pleasure you can get from God. All the benefits you can get from God in Christ. And you cannot serve God and money in that way, in the sense that they are mutually exclusive. You can only do that to one or the other. Either you are angling to make God your treasure in everything, or you're angling to make money your treasure in everything. Does that make sense? And I guess the really blunt way of saying it is, has your wallet affected, or has, should I say, um, your wallet, is, your, is your wallet feeling the effects of following Christ? Is one way I could say it. Does your wallet in your bank account, does it feel the effects, not in a negative way, but has it had an impact on the way that you're seeing now the Heavenly Father as the one that you're devoted to, not money? And one of the reasons I think this can be so difficult for us is because we love to be in control. Again, part of that orphan thinking is actually we love to be self-reliant. We love to be in control. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, they were self-reliant. They wanted to be in control. And one of the things that I find interesting that was so difficult when it comes to giving money is actually your, the call to say, give us your money or give God your money is actually saying, actually, I choose to give God control. I actually choose to release my self-reliance. Because that's what we often do, isn't it? We, you know, our savings and our bonds and all the different things that we can hoard and hold, we have control over it and we can be reliant on it. Actually, the sacrifice of giving to God isn't just the money. It's us saying, actually, God, I choose not to be self-reliant. I choose not to have full control over this area. I hand it to you and I ask you to be in control. And again, this self-reliance is rooted in that orphan-like thinking where our dependence is placed on ourselves rather than in God's. And I think that's one of the main reasons why, you know, giving is so offensive. Because it brings us actually back to a place where it, we've got to admit that it's not all about us. That's why giving is offensive, because actually we're, we're having to give money knowing that actually it's not about us, it's about God's, and about us not being about self-reliant, and us being, uh, you, know, you know, the whole kind of dog-eat-dog dog world. I'm gonna, if me and my castle, actually, to be able to give that up and say, God, I'm totally reliant on you. And to have confidence in the Father and his unlimited resources. There's a guy um, over the summer, I had the privilege of hearing Francis Chan, who's a guy who lives in San Francisco. And he was, he's a church leader. He was, he was a church leader. He was kind of a bit one of these mega churches in the, in the States. And he was getting really frustrated that people weren't giving. And uh, he, he just had this kind of, he basically prayed to God. He said, God, just give me a million pounds and I'll give it all. You know, because people are just so hard-hearted and I can't work, through, I don't know what to do. So he just said, look, God, just give me a million pounds and I'll give every single dime. And uh, it was literally that year he'd written a book that just became this kind of best, best hit seller and he became millionaire. And he went home to his wife and he said, God has given us this money. We, we are not keeping a dime of it. And he gave it all away. And I just think that is someone who is rooted in identity, knowing that God is the one who's provided it all. So therefore, when we give, we don't need to give out of fear and anxiety because we know that God is the one that can continue to provide. It says in 1 Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
So God is looking at our hearts when it comes to this whole area of giving. So that's the second theme. And the third theme is, he starts talking about fear and anxiety. So the third theme, I think, is fear. And again, Jesus tackles it with the identity. He starts, he actually, he, he, he reverses it and he starts talking about father. So he basically tackles fear with identity in the father. So he says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I think what Jesus does, he identifies that it's not only things like self-reliance and control that are part of orphan thinking, but actually that leads to fear and anxiety. If it's, if it's down completely to me to provide for all of my needs, then it leads to one place, which is dependency on me, and that leads to fear and anxiety. And what Jesus says is, you don't need to be fearful because it's not about you and your provision. It's about who you are now, seated in Christ, and that you now have a heavenly Father. It's now about the Father's ability to provide for you, not your own ability to provide for yourself. A number of years ago, I, I, I heard someone tell a story of how their, their family adopted um, an orphan, a boy. And he was the, one of the siblings. He was one of, so yeah, basically had an, an adopted brother. And he said, for months, every time they would have dinner table, every time they'd sit down for the dinner table, as soon as the dinner would get put on the table, this orphan boy, he would grab the bowl to himself and he'd be like this. And within two minutes, he would, he would munch down his food as quickly as he could. And that orphan mentality of, I've, I've got it and I'll protect it and I'll eat it as quick as I can because if I don't, someone else will eat it. Do you understand that whole orphan mentality? And it took months and months and months for him to realise that he was now part of a caring family that would be able to provide for him. It wasn't now dependent on him trying to protect himself and do those things. It was all on the family that he was a part of and the father that he had. Stanley Jones says this, Fear and anxiety is the sand in the machinery of life. And we need to recognise that the orphan thinking, fear... Fear is rooted in something. So it's, it's in the lack of. So I might not get fed or I might not have food. Or I might not have clothes. That, so it's fear is based in things. Faith is not based in things. It's based in someone. Do you understand that? So fear is rooted in something, whereas faith is always rooted in someone. And so often when I'm kind of pastoring people and we're talking about uh, things like fear and anxiety, often it's because their view and their thinking and, and what they're looking at is the things, the problems, and they've taken their eye off the gods, the, uh, the father, the person who they can have faith in to, to help them deal with the problems. It's orphan-based thinking. We've forgotten about dad and who the dad is. And this is why I think this area of identity is so key to this passage. It's only because... The father is in the equation that asking people to give money without fear makes sense. Do you get that? It's, it's only because the father, it's only because Jesus is bringing us back to the father and our identity in him that we can say, you know, 
John and Al, sell your house, move down to Hastings without all those things all tied up. But don't fear and don't be anxious because God's your father. And he knows. And there are many people that have either gone from this church or come to this church. And if they're often thinking, if they're thinking, I've got to get all these things, I've got to get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed in order for us to make this work, it'll be self-reliant, it'll be often thinking. But actually, when we, when we root ourselves in him, when we know who we are and who he is, it makes all the difference. It's so important to know who we are. It's only because the Father is in the equation that the instruction to give and not be fearful makes sense. It says this, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Jesus says later on, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's talking about the birds of the air. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I don't know if you know how many times Father is mentioned in the Old Testament. Fifteen. How many do you think, after, so after Jesus and in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, where we are now seated in the New Covenant, do you know how many times he keeps referring to Father, Father, Father? 245 times. I think that's significant. Our adoption in him is a complete game changer when it comes to our confidence in God and his provision in our lives. A complete game changer. Justification is incredible. Right? To be justified with God is amazing. Redemption, outrageous. But let me tell you, adoption is the pinnacle of God's plan. To not only release you from the sin that you're in, to not only pay your debt, but to bring you into a family and then give you an inheritance and to provide for you is outrageous. The adopted child realizes that all they now have and give comes from God's generous heart through adoption and that he desires to provide for his kids. I could have, this morning, I was thinking, well, what do I do when it comes to this whole thing of giving? Do I just talk about what, you know, the Bible says in terms of we should do this and we should do that? I don't think that that is what this passage is about. I think Jesus identifying that we don't need to have fear and anxiety because Jesus has brought us into a family where we now have a father who is able to provide for us. Let me just finish on this. The same teaching is found in Luke 12. And Jesus says this. Fear not, little flock. And if he calls us a flock, what is he? He's a shepherd, right? Fear not, little flock. It is your father's. So we have shepherd and father. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we have three things here. We have father, shepherd, and king. And just to finish, John Piper says this, Jesus piles up pictures of God to take away our fear of giving and of laying up treasures in heaven. He is a shepherd, he is a father, and he is a king. Shepherds know everything the sheep need to live and provide for them. Fathers take incredible care with their children. Kings have authority and power to get it done. God is all of that for us and more. So he says, don't be afraid, be lavish, be generous, cheerful givers, treat God as your treasure above all treasures, and then show how much he is your treasure by giving and giving and giving to those in need. I know we've had just a short amount of time, I'm going to finish there, but why don't you just stand with me? And I'm going to hand over to Paul in a moment, he's going to round us up. I just want to pray. What I want to pray more than anything else today 
is that you don't go away with a burden of, I need to give, I need to do this, I, don't, I need to do that. What I want you to go away is to know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and is able to provide for your every need. So, Holy Spirit, we just say, would you come right now? And we say, thank you for the way that you have provided through your Son. And thank you that when you say, if you, if you would do that, how much more would he give us all things? We say, Lord, we, we, we want to put our trust in you and your provision. So we say, would you do that in our hearts? Would you help us not to have orphan thinking? Would you help us not to seek after the approval of other people? But I pray, would we be devoted to your approval and to the rewards you have in heaven? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just take two minutes just to pray that for yourself? Maybe there's particular things that kind of came up in what I said. You could just say, God, would you help me in that particular area? And then Paul will kind of finish up the meeting.